the fifth grade or younger, you're free at this time to go to the children's service downstairs. I wonder um, if someone in the back there, Tom, can I pick on you just a moment? Brother, I need a glass of water. And uh, there's probably something in the office you can grab that in. I would appreciate that. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading this morning from the Revised Standard Version. I don't often do that, but I happen to have a page-by-page interlinear Bible with the Greek and the RSV, and so... I'm relying on both this morning, and hence the change in translation. But you follow along with me as I read, beginning in Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is not irksome to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for... We are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If any man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. Thank you so much, Tom. Appreciate it. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I already have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature be thus minded. And if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Father, as we have read these words of Paul, spoken to the church at Philippi 2,000 years ago, but spoken freshly to us today by your Spirit. 
Will you draw us in to his heartbeat, to his passion, to his love for you? And may we, by your grace this morning, make it our own. May our goal this coming year be to embrace what he has embraced. And may we be willing to pay whatever price is necessary to attain that goal. For Paul, it meant, and for us, undoubtedly, the, the, the shelving or the counting as refuse, everything, save for that precious glory of knowing Jesus. And I pray that you would open our eyes to this and, and teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is writing in the Philippian letter basically a thank you note. He has received a gift, and he's writing back to the church at Philippi, in essence, to say thank you. I think in some ways he feels perhaps a little more free to share his circumstances and to talk about the things that are happening in his life because the church has shown him such tender love and care. And so he opens a window to his soul in Philippians chapter 3. Those of you that have been around as long as I will realize that I frequently turn to this passage at the end of one year and the beginning of a new because it reminds me that there is merit in setting goals. I don't know that I want to call them New Year's resolutions, but there is merit in setting goals, particularly when they are Holy Spirit-inspired goals that reflect what God wants to accomplish in our lives, and to be reminded of that so that we can reach out and embrace them, knowing that God is as much in favor of our attainment as are we. And Paul, in speaking to the Philippians, is reminding them of grace, of salvation by grace, and of relying on nothing other than the grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ for their relationship with Him. It's interesting to me that in the early part of this section, uh, in chapter 3, he says, if anyone... Uh, has reason to have confidence in the flesh, I have reason to have confidence in the flesh also. In other words, um, I could have confidence in Jesus and in the flesh because I have run a good race in both categories. Sometimes I have a feeling that we as believers are trying to play that game, that we're counting on the grace of God on the one side but we're trying hard to run competitively in the arena of our own effort that we can prove ourselves worthy. And Paul says, I could do that because I have run that race well too. But he says, I have counted all of that as rubbish. I have put at loss all of my attainments, all of my uh, previous recognition and and status and 
all, all of my uh, prestige as a leading Jewish rabbi, I have laid it aside that I might exclusively run the grace race, that I might exclusively be found in God not having a righteousness of my own. I want to hold nothing to my own credit. I want to invest everything in Jesus Christ. You know, and I wonder if you and I realize what that cost the Apostle Paul and really what it cost us. What has Paul given up in order that he might run this race of grace? Besides his entire past, besides his pedigree uh, as a Jew of Jews, besides his family in, in all probability, Paul has also given up his hope of religion as a means of growing or attaining grace. He's given up Judaism as a means of righteousness. I don't know what you did over these snowy holidays when we were housebound a good bit of the time, but I'm horrible at picking out movies, but I did go to the movie store and picked out a few Christmas movies and they were actually winners, you know. Five-year-olds could have seen them without being embarrassed or confused. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we enjoyed them immensely and uh, just kind of watching them. But one of the things that, that stood out among them is how much people confuse the meaning of Christmas. Even well-intentioned, they miss the gospel. One of the movies that we watched was a modernization uh, musical presentation of Charles Dickens' The Christmas Story. And uh, made me want to go back and check out Dickens a little bit more and see where he might have stood faith-wise. I'm not at all sure. But uh, even though he made a smattering effort in The Christmas, uh, you know, A Christmas Carol, even though he made a smattering effort to get it right, he got it right according to the church, so to speak, but the gospel is missing. You know, it's not about me turning around and doing good and bringing blessing and, and using my life to, to just uh, give out of my resources and of my best to other people. Paul said, I was doing that. That's what my life was explained by, my commitment to, to Judaism, my commitment to be good, my commitment to keep the law, my commitment to do everything right. And he said, I met Jesus Christ and I was brought up short. And I realized that I had nothing to give but my sin. And I needed to surrender to Jesus that he could do everything through me that I would now be a container of his life and of his power and of his love and of his grace, and that I would be an ambassador whereby he could touch the lost world around me. You know, we miss the gospel. Even in church, we miss the gospel. We forget that it's all about Jesus and not about what we can do to, to, to make it better. You know, it's all about Jesus. And so Paul says, whatever 
gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. And he says, and I, indeed I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them refuse, that I might gain him and be found in him, not having my own righteousness based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, I want to live my life under the, the, the covering of grace. I want to live my life in the power of God. I want to live my life totally dependent upon Him. And just as a self-check this morning, can I ask you to, to just look inside for a moment? Can you say where you sit this morning that you are depending on nothing to gain you favor or merit with God other than the finished work of Jesus Christ and your confidence in what He has done on the cross? Do you know that for sure today? That you are not trusting anything else for a relationship with God other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross when He shed His blood and paid the price and said, It is finished. The debt is paid to Telestai. It's done. It's a Greek word. The debt is paid. There's nothing else that's owed. Sometimes I wonder when I say things like that, did we all get it? Allow me to embellish just a moment. There's no penance you have to do. There's no crawling on your knees for anything. There's no religious rite you have to perform. There's no joining of the church officially you have to accomplish. There's no baptism you have to do other than as a testimony. But it won't save you. There's nothing you can do to add to the work that Jesus did. It is finished on the cross. All the debt is paid. And we are free in Him. And friends, you and I will only experience that freedom when we stop relying on what we want to add by way of good works or good deeds or noble religious effort and believe by faith the righteousness of God which comes by faith, Paul said, believe by faith that He has done it all. And I rest in Him. I am safe in Him. That, in essence, frees us. And it frees us, among other things, to do the most sublime thing. Now, not having to worry about pleasing God in the sense of gaining favor with Him, because we're already accepted in the Beloved. Now, not having to worry about dotting those religious I's and crossing those religious T's 
and doing those good works in order to gain merit and somehow improve our chances. All of that is is history. It's done with in Jesus. Paul says, I am free to press on toward the real prize. And he describes that in verse 10. He says, that I may know Him. That I may know Him. Some of you have heard me expound on these words for know before, but there are several words in the Greek language for know. One of those words has to do with gaining academic understanding and knowledge. You can go to a class, you can take a class in some subject, in mathematics or perhaps in chemistry or, or something else, and, and you can learn the rules and you can follow the formulas and you can solve the equations, but until you go into the field and apply that in some meaningful way and learn how it really works, it remains to you merely head knowledge. You know, you, you really can't take a bona fide chemistry class without a lab. Because when you learn what certain elements do when they're combined in, in the book, you have to go in the laboratory and see it with your own eyes, taking the chemicals off the shelf and mixing them and, and lighting that Bunsen burner or whatever you're using and getting your apparatus together and trying the experiment so that you can gain from doing it a mental picture and understanding of what's going on. The one kind of knowledge we, we refer to as book learning, academics. The other we call experience. And it is experience that gives you the real understanding and application of the subject. And the Greeks had two different words for that. Academic knowledge, they called arao, but experiential understanding, hands-on experience, they called gnosis. This is the real knowledge. And Paul is saying here, I want to gnosis Jesus. I want to experience Him. I want hands-on knowledge with Jesus. May I say to us, in, in our context, friends, that means we're not reading about Him only. Now, oftentimes study comes before experience. But it's you don't just end with the Bible study. You don't just stop reading your devotion. It doesn't just conclude when you have completed a study on the life of Christ. Knowing about Jesus coming to church and hearing about Jesus, even this morning listening to me talk about Jesus, is knowing about Him, but it is not knowing Him. Until you and He get together, one-on-one, and start walking this life in communion with Him, 
asking for his understanding, asking for his leadership, asking for his explanation of the things that are going on in your life, putting the rubber to the road, as we say in in our colloquialism, making it real in our life in a personal daily communion with Jesus Christ. You can't say you know him. You know about him until you do that. You know him when you begin to move with him, live with him, walk with him. And Paul says, I want to know him. That's my goal. That's the thing that drives me. It compels me. It's my everyday agenda. I want to know Jesus. Is that your everyday agenda? When you get up in the morning and do whatever it is you do, do you want to know Jesus? You know, Steve, when you get in that truck, brother, and start delivering groceries, do you have in your mind, I want to see Jesus on the interstate today. I want to see Jesus in my job today. I want to see Jesus in what I do today. You know, Todd, in your home, with your family, are you thinking, I want to see Jesus today in my life. I I, I want to know him through what happens to me today. You know, wasn't it sweet to see Jesus this morning in your home? Yeah, to see him in the flesh through one of his servants. To see Jesus show up. You know, I know you're busy. When you're at work, it's everything happening ten times a minute. You know, do you see Jesus in the monitors, in the patients, in the crises, in the interaction with the staff? How is Jesus in the middle of all of this care of people, but care at a high technical level, where is Jesus here? Do you see Jesus? Lord, I want to know you today. I want you to be with me today. I want to experience you today. I want to know you. I invite you into my life. Show me, open my eyes to see you, that I may know him wrote my son a Christmas card. He's not here to ask his permission, or I would have asked it in advance, and I may be in trouble, but I won't tell you exactly what I wrote, but I'll, I'll give you the gist of it. As children grow up, you know, you start out changing their diapers and just doing everything for them. And then starts the correcting phase. They soon wake up to their personality, <laughs> and it's fallen. <laughs> and you got all that training and teaching to do, and you know all that kind of stuff. And and uh, then they hit the teen years, and if God is really gracious, you survive. And then they move on into adulthood, and somewhere along the line, a transition occurs to where those children to whom you've been parent become more on a friendship level. 
You don't ever change the relationship of father and child. That's not ever going to change. You don't ever change the relationship, you know, of probably seeking advice. But I realize I'm in a stage in both of my boys' lives now where I pray for them and and I offer advice when asked. I try not to give them too much when they don't ask. I question them every once in a while about decisions and ask them, how's it going? How's that working out for you? (laughs) Something you need to rethink here, you know? But uh, try to keep my nose out of making those choices. And as that interaction begins to develop, a friendship develops, and somewhere along the line, it may not quite be yet, although I see a little glimmer in the eye every once in a while, but as you even get older than they are, an amazing thing hits you. My parents are people. They're people. They have wants and dreams and wishes, and they have a personality, and they have their friends, and, you know, they... What makes them tick? That's something that doesn't occur to younger children, or even adolescents for that matter. What what makes mom tick? Oh, sometimes they're trying to figure it out from a different standpoint, but not because I care about you as a person. I want to know you. But you begin to see that happen when life moves along as it should. God is in the heavens. The Lord Jesus Christ sits upon the throne of glory. But have you stopped to consider that all personality comes from God? Let us make man in our image. And so in the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. And he said, this is very good. Have you considered the personhood of God? Have you considered that He has dreams? That He has goals? That He is after something? That He has a heart? That He loves? And there are things He loves. And things He enjoys. And things He hates. And He wants to tell you those things. It's kind of very interesting to me that Paul says later on in this passage, let those of us who are mature be thus minded. Little children in the faith never think about what God is thinking. They only want to come say, Daddy, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. That's just like little kids. And then when they get older, they say, okay, how can I get Dad to do this? You know, that the, you go past the concrete stage, you get into the abstract thought stage, and manipulation starts to come into the game. How can I get mom and dad to do this for me? You know, that's kind of spiritual adolescence. But somewhere along the line, we need to wake up to the fact that God is a person. That he has a heart. He has mind. He has 
a spirit. He is a spirit. He has desires and wishes and anticipation and goals. And he wants to share them with someone who's willing to listen. And when they listen, he invites that person to come alongside of him and join him in that work. And 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 go with him in prayer to see that it happens. Because I want what the Father wants now. I, Lord Jesus, I want what you want. I want to... I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know your passion. I want to know your desire. And then I want to, I want to ask for it with you. Wow. And God has a word for people who will mature up and come to Him with that kind of attitude. He calls them Friend. He calls them friend. Friend of God. He loves everybody else. But you parents have been there, or you've just been the go-to guy to get everything done. The paycheck, the, 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 the new clothes, the, the tuition, the what else do we need? Let's see, Dad, have you completed the list? You love your kids. You're willing. It's not, it's not, you're more than happy to do it. You know? But oh, the joy. When one of your kids sits down and says, you know what? Let me buy you a cup of coffee. What do you think about this? What's on your mind? What is it you want to do? Whoa! You get this neat feeling inside. And God is a person who has emotion. And if you really want to be tight with God, Just ask him what is on his mind. Ask him what he's up to. Ask him what he wants to do. Ask him to, to come into your life and give direction and, and show you his, his nature, his character. And oh, is he pleased. He calls those people friend. God spake to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus said. You are my friends. Why? Because I have told you all that is on my heart that I'm about to do. If you're willing to listen to God, and you're more concerned about who He is than what He will do, then He will take you into His friendship and share His heart with you. Paul says, that's what I, I want to know Him. And he says, I want to know the power of His resurrection. I want to know the, the, the dunamis, the dynamite of His resurrection power. 
You know what I think Paul's talking about there? I was I, I saw this for the first time in context, not of Philippians, but of all of Paul's writings. I was reading Second John last night, and I saw something else in context that just astounded me. Maybe I'll share that with you someday. Or maybe you can read Second John and figure it out. It's not too long of a book. But anyway, in all the context of what Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ. He is the one living in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up on my behalf. In Romans chapter 6, he says, For we were buried with Christ unto death, that we might be raised with Him in the likeness of His resurrection to walk in a new life. I think what Paul is saying here is, I want to see God's power in my life in triumphing over my sick, ugly self. To be dead to myself and to see the power of God alive in me. To do what only God can do. That, that His resurrection power might be the explanation of my life, not my self-effort. That's what this whole passage is about. I want His resurrection power flowing through me. I want His life coming out of me. I want His accomplishments being accomplished through me. I want Him to do what He wants by His power in me. I want to I wanna know the power of the resurrection in my life. In other words, I want to grow. I want to be uh, better than I am today, not in my terms, but in God's terms, by leaving the flesh behind. And, and it's not about me, but about growing in Jesus Christ and looking more like Him. I want to see that resurrection power. I want to share His suffering. It reminded me of Hebrews, again, where the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. And that in life's difficult situations where we are willing to yield to the Holy Spirit of God and die to ourselves again in that moment and allow Him to triumph in that suffering. There is suffering there. And in that suffering, with Jesus, we learn obedience with Him in His powerful resurrection. That I might become like Him in His death. That, that, that I might share that experience with him, Paul says, I want to go all the way to the cross with him so that there's no more of me kicking and screaming and yelling for attention. But I want to totally identify with Jesus in his resurrection power, in his crucified life, in his death, in his obedience, in his suffering. I want to fully identify with Jesus because I want to know Him. And He's far more important than my agenda. If possible, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
I, you know, that verse always troubled me because it was like, what's he saying about eternal security? I mean, is he leaving some kind of window here? What's he getting at? And I, and I saw, maybe for the first time, I could be wrong, but I think what he's actually saying is that in this dying with Christ and identifying with him in totality as I seek to know him, that I might experience a life now that is characterized by his resurrection power. So that every moment of my life is characterized by his resurrection power. That every day I live, Jesus is triumphant in me in resurrected glory. And that makes more sense to me than Paul wondering if he's going to see the resurrection from the grave. What he wants to know is when I die to myself, am I going to see the power of God risen in me on a daily basis and live with Him in resurrection victory? Because that's the life that's promised in Romans chapter 6. This is classic Apostle Paul. Here's where I want to be. It's not I that lives, but Christ. He is the one living in me. In the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Which makes his next verses also make sense. Not that I've already gotten there 100% of the time or I've become totally perfect. But he says, I have, a, I have a secret that helps. Here's the key to my progress. I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Don't you like that? This is already done in Jesus Christ. He has already laid hold of me. There's no contingency here. I know and am persuaded, Paul says, that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. I rest in that. But he says, brethren, verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that upward call of God in Christ? That I may know him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. That's, that's the prize. I want to know Him. Let those of us who are mature be thus minded. And isn't this a helpful addition to the sentence? And if those of you who are mature and are like-minded, if in anything you're otherwise minded, God will reveal that to you also. Only... Hold the ground you've got. Don't go backwards. Hang on. And God will show you where you're missing stuff. That's His job. He'll take that responsibility. But you make it your aim to press toward the mark of the upward call of God in Christ. Lay hold of Him. Hang on to Him. Embrace Him. Pursue Him with all your heart. Forget what lies behind. Every one of us here this morning has a past. Some of you have a past that bothers you every day. 
And Paul said part of the key to moving on to maturity is putting that under the blood. It's already there from God's viewpoint. So many times you come to God and you get ready to pray and and the enemy of your souls comes in and reminds you of all the miserable ways that you failed God. And before you know it, you don't know what to say. You feel discouraged in his presence. You know, John says that's what it's like, brethren, when our hearts condemn us, we don't have confidence in front of God. But I want to tell you this morning, there's no reason for your heart to condemn you. If you're in Jesus Christ, it is all under the blood. And Paul says this is part of the key to moving forward. To to put it there yourself, forgetting what lies behind. You may have regrets and mistakes and things like that. I'm not saying there isn't a time when you may need to, to talk with another person and bring things up to date and get the air cleared. There may be those moments that come along that God wants that to happen on the basis of fellowship. But the issues still can be put to rest. Forget what lies behind. So that you can move toward what lies ahead. And press. It's, it's an athlete's term. It's like a bench press with weight that's just, you know, right there press toward the mark, strain toward it is one way to translate it, reach out for it as far as you can, the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know him this coming year in your life? Not about him. Not learn more about him. Know Him. Do you want to get past the asking stage? And I'm not saying you can't go to God with your needs. The Bible's very plain about that. Cast all your care upon Him. But is that the main purpose in connecting with God? What can I get out of you today? That's not mature thinking. It's a part of living a dependent life. It's okay. But if you are mature, knowing that your Heavenly Father knows your needs, and knowing that He is interested in caring for you, as a given, are you wanting to sit in His presence and say, what I really want to know, Jesus is who you are. What makes you tick? What do you love? What are you trying to do? Right now in this job of mine, right now in in this house of mine, right now in, in my life, what are you trying to do? What do you want? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? I love you and I want to please you. I want to, I want to do what you want. Tell me your heart. 
I want to know you. I want to know you. And I think in many cases, one of the things God wants to show you is the people around you and what he wants to do in their lives. God wants partners to come alongside who care about what he cares about and say, Father, I'll take the time. Lord Jesus, show me what you want to do in these people's lives, and I will join and pray with you for that. I will enter in there together with you. Let me see your heart. I want to know you. Father, I pray this morning that you would enable us to grow up and be mature. That we would be people who have grown out of the diaper stage and out of the manipulative stage and into the relationship where we walk with you as your friend, listening to your heart, drawing into your presence, wanting nothing so much as to simply be with you. Move upon us toward that end. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.